On today's episode of the I-501CU, the podcast for nonprofit board members, I have the pleasure of interviewing Kathy Layton. Kathy is a near lifelong resident in Sarasota and has served on a number of boards throughout her career. And she will share with you some of her life lessons of having been on the board for 20 plus years. So please enjoy this issue of our podcast with Kathy Layton. Hey, Michael here, jumping in before you listen to the podcast. Did you know we send out a weekly email providing you information related to the podcast and additional information? If you'd like to subscribe to that, please go to our website, thecorleycompany.com. Well, welcome back to the I-501C, the podcast for nonprofit board members. I'm absolutely excited today to be interviewing Kathy Layton. Kathy is is coming off of serving as board chair at the Bay Park Conservancy, has now have been designated the board emeritus title. And Kathy, before I get into jumping and asking you questions, would you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your service over the years? Hi, Michael. Thank you. Um, I have been in the nonprofit world for many years, and I think that comes out of having picked kind of dull professional direction and needing some spice in my life. And so I remember starting in junior achievement, actually in my first uh, my first job and Big Brothers Big Sisters later on. So I've been um, peripherally active in um, in good works for many years, and it's been part of, I think, what's brought me the real joy of my life. Well, I'd I'd love the fact you said junior achievement, because actually that's how I started my uh, volunteer experience. Uh, It was a long, long time ago, probably for both of us, but teaching those little kids is, uh, I had young, young, I think kindergarten, maybe kids. And I thought, oh Oh my my gosh, it was very young. But when I walked in the room, they hugged me. So it was kind of cool You know, (laughs) to leave your office, trying to climb the corporate ladder and you run into these kids. They're not listening to words you're saying. They're just want to hug your leg. It was cute. So you have you have held a number of positions as for nonprofit boards, and I'm curious. Let's get right in. You've got some Kathyisms. You've got some life lessons that our audience will benefit from hearing about. So when you reflect on your board service in organizations, what are some of the life lessons that would benefit others? For me, I think the most important has been if a mission doesn't really resonate with me, I will not do my best work, nor will I be fulfilled. And I've found that um, the more candles I blow out, um, I'm finding it's who, you know, it's even who I choose to be with. If, if, you know, if, if you're not in sync with a group of people, you're, you're not going to be fulfilled. And, and so I think that's been one of the most important. Um, another one is that uh, I think about fulfillment for me comes when I can give something the proper time and energy. And in my 20s and 30s, we all we all were on four, five, six boards. It was just part of what we did. But as impact meant more to me. I found that I couldn't do that on four, five, or six. I could make great friends, know a lot of people, great for networking. So I found that when I narrowed it down to just a couple of organizations, um, I just did my better work. And it was Um, more fulfilling. It was definitely more fulfilling to me. And um, it also, um, if when you tell somebody 
like if somebody wants you to be involved, say in a different organization, and you're really doing your best work, narrowly focused where you are, to be able to say, I love what you're here, what I'm hearing or what you're offering, but I am fully focused on this effort and for the foreseeable uh, future. A lot of us wish that we had a graceful way to say no, but when you say, I'm really engaged here, this is important to me, and this is where my energies are, it makes it makes no's and it makes um, clarifying what your purpose is a lot, a lot clearer to others. Kathy, I love that. And Reed, we got to put that in the show notes. So for all of you who are listening, that can't say no. And there are a number of us like that, particularly those of us who serve on nonprofit boards. And you want to have a graceful way of, of declining an invitation. Kathy just gave you words of wisdom. So be sure to use those. Thank you, Kathy. That is great. Very good. Welcome. The other lesson that I've uh, learned is, um, and, you know, I've been in the, I've, not been active in the real estate business for about 10 years, but um, I sold dirt. How exciting can that be? Um, and so for me, being what you might call a scanner, where I'm interested in a lot of things, but I was narrowly focused in this work, um, board work gave me the ability to to get involved and to learn about others and to um, to broaden myself. So as an example, when I served um, at uh, Selby Gardens on their board, I was interested in horticultural and, bot and botany and so on. And at the Bay, I'm interested in landscape architecture and design. Um, so, so my work uh, on boards has I don't know, it's made me, a, I think, a richer person, and it's certainly um, uh, given me a, a lot to think about and to do over the years. And, and so you started on boards a number of years ago. Now you've served on for probably 20-plus years on various boards. You would have started as a board member, but somehow you've worked your way into being in leadership positions in the last several boards that I've known that you've served on, can you talk a little bit about how and why that came about? Obviously, there's something about you that has some leadership qualities in addition to your interests in those organizations. How did you evolve to becoming a board chair? I've been thinking about that in advance of our talk today, Michael. And I think that the answer is um, the passion and the energy that I put into my service. I think um, I think people feel that there's, you're not gonna share a boardroom with me and think I'm indifferent. And if you do, I'm probably not gonna be there for much longer. But the other thing is, um, and, and we'll talk about it in a minute, but I, you know, you've got to be, I think to be a good board member aware of what your strengths are. And, and I think that the skill set that I've developed over the years has been in, in governance, in procedures, it's kind of the, the boring stuff, but kind of the, the tracks of, of the organization and the direction of the organization. And, um, and so I, I think that that, that governance strength and then the passion for the mission is what's caused this trend. Well, it's certainly been successful to work for you and the organizations you're associated with. And every board member brings different 
skill sets and passions. I, I love the fact you mentioned governance because a lot of people find that boring. Like you, I find that extremely interesting. And then I've seen others that absolutely love fundraising. That is not my forte, but that are excel so well at it. And then financials, et cetera, et cetera. So I think understanding your strengths and then being able to apply those in a service setting is absolutely wise advice. Now, you did say something to me when we had a pre-meeting about a month ago that people who join boards can take on one of two roles, the placeholder or the contributor. And I thought that summed it up eloquently. But I'm going to ask you to elaborate. Talk to our audience about what happens when somebody joins a board in those two different roles. Well, I thought I would start by comparing and contrasting what those folks are like as two examples. And I was thinking of a friend of mine, Lori, who um, is passionate about people who are supported during cancer care. And that passion comes from her needing support during her cancer treatment. And she has long to serve because that mission is, it's who she is. And so um, when I think of a contributor, she'll do anything for that organization. She'll do anything to make that, um, to fulfill that mission. So then I'm going to contrast it with um, person I'll call Isaac, who is a banker. And he um, needs to, um, he needs to meet a lot of people. He needs to network. And he loves to see himself um on lists of boards, you know, to have that part of the profile, checking, checking in with people, how are you doing? How's that new house going? That kind of thing in and out of the boardroom. But one of the things that um, I have noticed when leadership is needed, um, the contributors are the one that are going to earn that right to leadership. So if there's someone who's thinking that they're going to uh, cruise through as just a placeholder and uh, maybe not get to the meetings on time and maybe not be fully prepared, uh, attendance challenges and all, um, that person is really limiting his or herself as to the um, ascension into leadership. So um, is that what we kind of talked about, Michael. Yeah, I, I think that's in, but you, those two words are so descriptive. And I encourage anybody listening to this podcast, maybe if you serve on multiple boards, are you really a contributor or are you a placeholder? And, and you may be uh, the contributor, but recognize the limitations of the placeholder. And does it really benefit the organization? And if you're serving out of a level of love for mission, you really need to think about is that the best role for you to sit on the board? Because Kathy, I know you've had the same experience I've had. You've had board members that show up late to meetings or they don't come to things. And as board chair, you have to address that in some form, fashion or another. You know, usually you get, we, we're nice. We give people a pass for a few months or whatnot, but then it becomes a, really a distraction or just a kind of little yuck feeling, if you will, um, among the board. So, you know, in your experience, it, it, how do you deal with something like that? Or how would mm -hmm. you recommend a chair deal with that situation? Well, I did have a situation where there's a board member I cared a lot for um, who was um, a placeholder on a lot of boards. And he was at a really formative part of uh, part of his career. And um, and I and I I cared a lot about him. And I said, do you want to be known 
I mean, you're getting a lot of exposure, but how do you want to be known? And um, if you want to be known as the guy that shows up sometimes on time um, and who's a lot of fun, that's fine. But if you want to be known as somebody who is really contributing to the betterment of the community, you've got to find a different way. So, um, so I, I guess as a board chair, um, first of all, I think there's a boards need to tell board members what's expect, expected of them. And so as, as an example of the Bay Park Conservancy, we have three or four pages uh, called board member responsibilities. And it talks about communication. Board members don't go out and give interviews on their own. Communications are directed to the board chair or to the CEO. So we lay out the responsibilities, um, conflicts of interest, uh, at board attendance, what's expected um, in terms of service. So when when a board member knows that's what's expected, when you are a board chair and you're having to have a discussion, it sure is nice to lay out a document and say, let's review this together and see how we're doing. Very good. Now you talked about being on a board is service. In again, that was in our pre-discussion about a month ago. You said being on the board is service. One serves on a board. Could you elaborate a little bit about that? Because I, I really like the way you frame that. Well, I was looking at the list of past folks, and I know that somebody on one of your podcasts has talked about our state laws requiring care, loyal, and obedience if you're going to serve on a board. Um, so let's just go a step further than that. And that's the preparation, know what's expected. And I go back to that, your board should have let you know in advance what you signed up for. So know what's expected, both of attendance, participation, and so on. Be prepared for the meetings. Um, be engaged at the meetings. Uh, I mean, it seems silly that that people will be answering emails or texting on their phones when board meetings are going on. So be engaged, be there, let people know that you're there and that, um, that you're going to be a positive contributor to the process and be on time. Um, and know that you're there for a reason. Uh, you know, we talked Michael about matching why one would serve on a board um, know in advance if you're applying your strength in finance or you're applying your strength in um, in governance, um, know that you're there for that reason and be prepared to do it. And when you're preparing to do it and you're looking for a, a board to serve on, do you have some criteria about finding the right board? Do you recommend that people find the avenue for them? Yes. First, you've, you've got to have a mission that is that resonates with you or you won't be engaged. And um, I've had and I've had I have this one friend. Every time she asks me to do something, I say yes, because I love her dearly. But she asked me to be on a board where serving with her was exciting and then I got on the board and I thought, I, I have no passion for this. And so I did I did end up resigning from the board, but I also told her, don't ask me to do anything else again because I'll say yes and I don't <laughs> I don't want to do that. So make sure that you know 
um, that you're passionate and that you know why you're going on. Um, and think about what you bring to the table back when I we were just talking about the strengths that I bring, the governance procedures. Um, make sure that you think about, I have just spoken about what my strengths are, the governance procedures and outreach. Take inventory of what you think or know that your strengths are and make sure that what the organization needs is that. Um, back to this example of I gave of a, of a um, charismatic person asking me to serve and I went on this board and, and this uh, list went around, tell us what you'd like to be engaged in. And there was a, uh, an area for governance and there was, um, there was an area for events and everything. And the only thing that I filled my name in was governance and I got signed for events. That's not me. If you ask, I am not known to be a fun person. That's not what I'm known for. So um, make sure that the strengths you bring are the strengths that are needed. Um, I also think, and this is probably something that's new, consider how approachable the leadership of the board is. Um, I would not go, I would not again go back on the board where I don't, haven't at least met once with the board chair. Um, if I, if my presence is in the leadership's mind filling a slot, I need to know that in advance. If my presence is desired because I fulfill needs, I want to know that in advance. That um, is great. So that's meet with the, the chair beforehand. Now, what about the CEO? Should you also, if you're exploring a board position, should you have interaction with the CEO prior to? If you, if you um, don't know that person or don't know that person's work, I haven't thought about that, Michael. I probably would. Um, and I think back on an, another board where I didn't know the CEO very well, and I got to about my second or third board meeting, and I thought, holy cow, <laughs> I didn't know he felt that way. And, um, and probably that would have come out in a one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but, but having said that, well, and we'll get to the, I think we'll get to the subject, um, as a board member, my relationship, my familiarity is with the CEO, but my relationship is with other board members. And that's really important to understand and make sure that you don't, as a board member, think you're being recruited to run an organization um, versus serve in setting policy for an organization, which is what a board member does. And I want to touch on a few things there, but I think your point about I would say in our younger days, we probably wouldn't have thought we should meet the CEO. Now, typically the CEO may reach out to us, but you wouldn't think maybe as a normal course of action. And, and probably after we've served on a number of boards, probably nowadays we would go, wait a second. We probably want to do a little bit more due diligence. Yes, there's excitement. There's honor in being asked. But after serving for a number of years, you, you know the commitment and that there better be a really good working relationship or a level of respect there 
because once you're there, um, you, you really don't want to have to resign type thing. So I think that was very interesting advice that you gave. So now let, let's go back to that little bit of that relationship between the board, the CEO, the chair, the CEO. You've held all those roles, maybe not a CEO of a nonprofit, but those roles. Can you talk a little bit about the dynamics, the importance, the relationship, and how things ought to work? Yes. Um, by the way, back on the what is one serve, make sure mm -hmm. it fits your definition of fun. Okay. Now, <laughs> Very um, good. But you're not a fun person. You already said that. <laughs> Oh, but I like to have fun. I'm just okay. not willing to be fun. <laughs> so the board, back to your question, the board does not run the organization. It sets the policy and it hires someone to run it. And that is over the years, probably the hardest um, challenge, especially for really well experienced um very successful people. So if you want to, if you want to run an organization, if you're going on a board to run it, apply for the job, don't apply for a board position. And I think the, the CEO should always feel the support of the board, but not feel directed, directed, directed by individuals, um, directed by the board, uh, communicated through the chair, but not this peripheral directing that can sometimes go on with different directors. Um, and, and this is something that sort of come up. I've, I've, I've been thinking about this too, is that the direction to a CEO should occur during a board meeting. Um, and I don't mean to take away from the board chair and the CEO and the relationship, that ongoing relationship, but, um, you know, I've seen mean directors who will have conversations outside of the boardroom with a CEO they may not otherwise have. So I really just think board members need to understand if you want to have professional directive discussions with the CEO, it happens at the board meeting. And unless you're the chair, um, that matters between the board and the CEO should be handled by the chair. That's very good advice because as individuals, and, and we all want to contribute a little bit, and we may want to have direct interaction with the CEO, but what the listeners have to be reminded of, that's very complex for the CEO. That means not only do they have one boss, they've got up to 15, 20 bosses. And if the board's not speaking in a unified voice, it really becomes problematic and creates some dynamics that isn't very positive. And so what we're hearing you say is the chair-CEO relationship, critically important. That's a more regular type of discussion. The chair is communicating with the board. If board members have issues, topics they want to discuss, do it in the board meeting where you've got, you're there as a collective and the CEO is at the table. And so there can be more of a, a group type of discussion. Is that a fair yes. way to state it, Kathy? It's a fair way to state it. And I think that a way to remind people of that is, first of all, um, that relationship is, to me, part of what's documented in the board members' responsibilities. And annual meetings are a really great time to revisit important governance 
matters, such as what are the board members' responsibilities? Um, uh, I serve on the um, William G. and Marie Selby Foundation, and at our annual meeting, we also read our declaration of donor intent to remind us why our donors did what they did and just to make sure that we're staying on the same page. So I think those annual meetings can be kind of a, a clearing of the air or a fresh start or just a reminder of the things that make an org or give the give the things that give an organization the best chance of success. Very good. I, and I like that the reading of whether it's the mission, the organizing documents, and I know that Selby Foundation does exactly what you just said. I think that is just very cool to do that on an annual basis. It just realigns and refocuses everybody and reminds you why you're there to serve. As you said, it's to serve, to do something really larger than yourself. And and, and that I really do enjoy that. So, Kathy, as you think about the the CEO and board chair relationship can you talk a little bit about the frequency? I'm getting a little granular here, but I think this is helpful for folks, the frequency of communication, you know, the interaction. How do you manage that as board chair? There's this fine line of enough and too much. In terms of frequency, Carol Butera, as an example, as the um, CEO of the Selby Foundation, she was really terrific. She is really terrific on letting me know what's happening. But then when maybe she's asking my advice or saying, do you want to be involved in this? She, it was out of respect that she was letting me know what was happening, but I would just typically say, Hey, that's, um, that's running the organization. That's your work. And I support whatever it is that you decide to do. So um, but I I do know of um, of some board chairs who feel like, you know, the CEO should be in their office every Monday morning to tell them what they're doing. And I, I totally disagree with that. Yeah, that's that fine line you talk about. And that could really be distracting to a CEO because you've hired that individual to run, to lead the organization. And you would like to think that they can do it and they should yeah. be left to do that. So you, you talk to the CEO and I'm, we'll just call it a regular basis, a frequent, whatever that frequency is, then how do you go and manage the board? Are you talking to the board solely at meetings, individually? Just curious, how do you, Kathy's style of managing the board? Hmm. Um, I am probably more laissez-faire than, than others are because I guess that's how I like to be treated. If I have a if I have a job to do, I'll do it. I don't need somebody checking with me. But I do know if there's something coming up in a meeting. Now, this doesn't pertain to the Bay Park Conservancy because we cannot talk to each other out of a noticed meeting. So this this pertains to other boards. If I have a board meeting where um, I think somebody might have a challenge with what's being promoted or may need some additional explanation in advance. Perhaps they've been absent or something Then I may call and let that person know. Um, I think it makes good sense for relationship standpoint to at least have a couple of one-on-ones a year if possible. But, but I would say my personal style is, um, 
assuming that people are going to do what they've said they're going to do. Well, we and really have to alone. Yeah, we and we, have, we really have to operate under that assumption. You, you like to think, right? And and I hear you. And you know, scheduling meetings. We talk about that. The board chair's opportunity is to build and strengthen relationships, but it does take time and it takes intentionality, and it's 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 additional work. And sometimes you need to do that. I think part of it's also probably the situation that you're in. And so you just, you know, ebb and flow with that situation. Now, I do want to sh tell the guests what you were referencing when you can't meet with other board members is the wonderful laws we have in Florida called the sunshine laws. And so for those of you who are listening outside of Florida, it's if you're a funded by a government entity, and I'm, this is loosely defined, board members are not allowed to speak outside of a noticed meeting that is open to the public. So it becomes really challenging for board members to conduct business because literally they cannot speak to each other about board business between meetings. Uh, and that includes even our county commission. The poor county commissioners are not allowed to do so. So it's tough to properly prepare and engage and have one-off discussions. So just one of the nuances of the state of Florida, and I don't know, perhaps other states have it as well. But yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Kathy. That could be a whole podcast in and of itself. And But I, I think that would devolve pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> It scare people away. <laughs> I, I think you're probably right. So, so we we've covered the gamut today, Kathy. Your your 20 plus years of board experience. You you gave us some wonderful life life lessons. You gave us some how to operate as a board chair, how to evaluate boards to serve on, and to really focus your efforts because you're going to be more fulfilled if you're focused on fewer. Anything else you'd like to share with the listeners? Anybody who's a current board member who is considered being becoming a board member. When you're doing good work with something you care about, um, it's really personally enriching. I also think of who's important in my life other than my my family. And many times it's um, those folks that I served with, um, worked with, achieved with, not professionally, but in my board work. So I think it's Board service is just a wonderful way to have personally uh, personal fulfillment, um, impact in your community. And so my life is richer because of my work. Um, it isn't because of my professional work, but it's because of of my board work. And that but is... I would also so, sorry, go Michael. ahead. Nope, go ahead. That I would just also say. But it's also being bringing your strengths to the right place um, and giving it the time that you can. And that last statement is wonderful advice. You get out of and it can be summed up. You get out of it what you put into it. And so, I, I, Kathy, I think that is something that everybody can learn from. And I do think a lot of our listeners already operate that way. I think they are contributors and not placeholders, and I hope they will continue to be so. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you sharing your wisdom and your experience, and people are better off having listened to this podcast and will make a greater impact in their community as board members. So thank you. My pleasure, Michael. Thank you. Well, we just had a great interview with Kathy Layton, and she really is a treasure to our community and quite a contributor. And in this issue of recapping with Reed, Reed's going to give us the, his three takeaways as the person who wasn't part of the interview, but was observing. So Reed, what are your three takeaways? So the first takeaway is to take inventory of your strengths and make sure that is what the organization needs. And on the flip side, 
if your strengths are not what you're looking to provide to the organization, make sure they're aware of that. For example, we've talked about before, if you were a CPA, you're probably going to be nominated as treasurer or you're going to be on the finance committee. But if that's not the, if you don't want to flex that brain muscle outside of the office, make sure they know that ahead of time so they don't nominate you for that. I think Kathy also mentioned being put on events committee, like that wasn't her. So make sure that they know what your your expectations are and what your strengths are and what you're willing to give to the organization. Yeah, and that goes back to one of the first podcasts we even had is part of professional development, joining a board and getting exposed to different different aspects of running an organization that you may want to make it very clear. If you're particularly that CPA, you don't want to be the treasurer, or at least not right now. So what's number two, Reed? Boards need to tell board members what is expected of them. And it's especially nice to have a document that lays that out. You should cover that when a new board member comes on to the board. But also, it's a good idea to review that annually to keep it in the front of everybody's mind. And so they do know what's expected of them, especially if you have to have a conversation with a board member who is not contributing what is expected of them. Yeah, you know, and what when she was saying that, Reed, what it reminded me of is whenever you hire an employee, you set the expectations, right? Otherwise, how are they going to know what? is expected of them. And then the board membership is no different. So that is a wise piece of advice. And what's number three? I loved when Kathy said, you're not going to share a boardroom with me and think I'm indifferent. And that goes to her contributor versus placeholder people on a board. So put passion and energy into your service. If you're going to be on a board, be a contributor. Don't be there to fill a seat. Absolutely right. So that's that's it. Recapping with Reed, three points to his three takeaways from our interview with Kathy Layton. Thank you all for joining us today. And we will 501 see you next week for the next week's podcast. Thank you. Hey, thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. And as we're starting off the year 2023, great time to be thinking about strategy and working with your board on strategic direction. If you need help, either with a offsite board retreat or any type of strategic discussion. That is a service we provide at the Corley Company. So please reach out to us. I welcome the opportunity to speak to you. You can reach out any number of ways. You can email michael at thecorleycompany.com or you can go to our website, thecorleycompany.com and fill out the contact form. And welcome the opportunity to speak with you see if we can't help you out.